the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program that we typically take your calls and answer your questions, hopefully about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about world views. We talk about world religions. And, of course, we talk about the past, which includes the subject of history. We talk about the future, which includes the subject of prophecy. But we also talk about the here and the now. And if you'd like to join me on the program, um, the number is 303-873-1935. Excuse me, 1935. And um, it's kind of a free-for-all Friday. And on this free-for-all Friday, as you can imagine, so much is going on in in the news. We're still keeping our eye on the conflict in the Middle East, the challenges that the modern state of Israel is facing, Hamas, and um, the historical um, implications, but the biblical implications for the, the future. One of the interesting things that I've been talking about for the last couple of days is the fact that several outlets including uh, a coalition of so-called churches in in the Middle East, have elected to cancel Christmas in Bethlehem. One of the signs and protesters uh, at the Christmas tree lighting in New York had an interesting sign, and the sign read, Cancel Joy. And I thought to myself, What an interesting thing to say. Can you imagine being a protester and you've decided to cancel joy? And I couldn't help but thinking about the fact that the Bible not only gives us permission to have joy, but that according to the Bible... When you think about the source of joy, there's no reason to cancel joy. So if you ask kind of an interesting question, and as you know, this is a Bible question program where we ask and we try to find answers to Bible questions, your questions, what are the sources of joy according to the Bible? And, of course, the Bible provides guidance on the sources of joy. It talks about spiritual life. And the three things that the Bible talks about fairly robustly is the fact that there is joy in God's presence. So in Psalm 1611, it says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In Luke 15, 7, of course, it says, 
I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. In other words, the the idea is that there is joy in heaven when sinners turn from their sin and so the Bible seems to indicate that there's joy in the presence of the Lord. There's joy in heaven when people turn from their sin and turn to their Savior. And there's joy in the concept of worship. And so I think it's a little bit premature to cancel Christmas and to cancel joy. There's lots of other reasons that we can have joy. According to the Bible, we can have joy because our names are written in heaven. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when he says, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The context of that passage was the fact that Jesus had sent them out to proclaim the gospel, but also to heal the sick and to deliver those who were afflicted by demons. And they were rejoicing. And Jesus says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then of course it talks about in Psalm 126 verses five and six, it says those who sow in tears, will reap with songs of joy. He who grows or he who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. In John fifteen ten, Jesus says, If you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that that my joy may be in you, and that your joy will be complete. In John 16, 24, it says, Until now, you you haven't asked anything in my name. Ask, and you'll receive, and your joy will be complete. So asking in Jesus' name completes joy. Obeying Jesus, you experience joy. Those who sow in tears reap joy. We can rejoice because our names are written in heaven. So we might be thinking it's a little bit too early to cancel joy for those people who are holding up signs to cancel joy. My advice is no, joy's still on. 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. As I'm fond of saying, you just pick up the phone, you dial the number 303-873-1935. And, of course, our producer, Jim Nichols, is standing by to take your call, happy to take your call. He'll ask you, hey, what is your question or comment for Gino? And um, we'll make every effort to get your question on the program. It's 303-873-1935. Clearly, joy is something we want, we long for. 
But sometimes we find ourselves in difficult situations. And so for many people, joy is hard to hold on to. But I'm going to suggest to you that experiencing joy should be a regular part of every Christian's life. According to Paul writing in the book of Galatians, he says that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit produced by God's work in us. And so therefore that makes it a part of God's will for us. We know that even the most mature Christians experience periods of grief, sorrow, pain, what some people might characterize as joylessness. You'll remember Job wished he he had never been born in Job chapter 3, verse 11. He said, why didn't I die at birth? Come out of the womb and expire. It was his way of saying, wow, why couldn't I have just been stillborn? David prayed to be taken away to a place where he he wouldn't have to deal with reality. Can joy still be a part of our life? I think the answer is yes. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Happy to take your calls, 303-873-1935. And so if you've ever wanted to come on the program, now would probably be a really good time. Um, Again, just pick up the phone, dial the number 303-873-1935. Been talking a little bit about joy. And um, we, we talk about the Bible gives us permission The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so when people hold up signs saying joy is canceled, I'm just reminded that um, for the Christian, joy need never be canceled. And of course, I talked a little bit about the fact that saints experience difficulty and setback. Job wanted to die. David prayed that uh, to be taken to a place where he wouldn't have to deal with reality. In Psalm um, 55, verses 6 through 8, it says, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah, which means rest and think about it. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. In in other words, he's basically saying, hey, I don't want to have to deal with what's going on. And Elijah, even after defeating 450 prophets of Baal with fire that was called down from heaven, found his way into the wilderness and asked God to take his life. And so, are there struggles? The answer is yes. But can we experience consistent joy? And I think the first thing to remember and to remind us of 
is that joy comes from the presence of the Lord. Again, I talked about Psalm 16, uh, 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So the presence of the spirit in your life, joy, the manifestation of grace, joy. So it's a gift. The root word for joy in the Greek is kara, which is closely related to that Greek word charis, which was the word that was used for grace. So grace and joy are related to one another. So joy is a gift from God as well as a response to the gifts of God. So joy comes when we're aware of God's grace and we, I'm going to use the word celebrate his favor. So when you think about that, and by the way, I want to give out that number, 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. One of the ways to experience joy, have a refreshing experience of joy, is to turn your focus away from yourself and now focus on the Lord. Turn your focus away from difficulty, which and those things that rob our contentment and then dwell on the Lord. So when you talk about difficulties, about living in a world of uncertainty, living in a world of woke justice, living in a world of civilizational collapse, living in a world of, um, of political leadership incompetence, sometimes even living in a world where perhaps Christians and the church aren't biblically representing themselves very well. It's easy to lose focus. Now, this doesn't mean that we deny that there aren't problems or difficulties or grief or sorrow. And again, following the example of, of the people who wrote the Psalms, we can pour out our hearts to God. We can tell him bluntly what's going on with us and, and that we want to exercise the ability to submit to him and remember who he is and that we are, in fact, satisfied and content and happy in him. I think of Psalm chapter 3 and Psalm 13 and Psalm 18 and Psalm 43 and Psalm 103. So if you're if you're thinking, 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 think the three word. And so if you're wondering, well, what Psalms can I read that's going to help me um, refocus? Think about Psalm 3 and 13 and 43 and 103. So the book of Philippians has a whole lot to say about joy. And again, people might forget the context in which he's writing. Paul is in prison. 
in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, where he gives some guidelines for experiencing joy in the Christian life. He basically says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things or think about such things. So in that passage of Scripture... Paul reminds us of the importance of praising the Lord, remembering that he's near, praying about our concerns, keeping our minds focused on the good things that the Lord has provided, and then we experience joy because we're now willing to intentionally praise him. David wrote that the stu- the study of God's word brings joy. Psalm 19:8 The precepts of the Lord are right, David wrote, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So we experience joy by communing with God through prayer and then we experience joy by keeping our focus on godly things rather than just simply thinking about difficult things or discontentment. Again, 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Jesus also gave us some instructions regarding joy. In John 15, he talks about abiding in him, obeying him. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my uh, Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy will be complete. So again, one of the keys to joy is remembering it comes from the presence of God, that it's a gift, but also that it comes from living in obedience. And another way to experience joy in the Christian life is through community. It's been a while since you've been in church. Maybe you need to think about going back. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. I've been talking about joy because, of course, you know, there's been a growing group of people (laughs) holding up signs suggesting that joy has been canceled. But I'm going to suggest, no, for the Christian, joy is never canceled. 
By the way, uh, I normally do this at the top of the hour, but I am going to read from the American Minute. These are notable events of American significance. Remembered on the date that they occurred by Bill Federer for today, for today, and uh, for December 1st. And again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. So he writes for today, quote, The Confederates won the Second Battle of Bull Run. They crossed the Potomac River into Maryland, and they captured Harper's Ferry. But the Confederate drive was halted at the Battle of Antietam, the bloodiest day of fighting in American history. In total, over a half a million lost their lives in the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln decided to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. In his second annual message, which he gave on this date, December 1st, 1862, then-President Lincoln wrote, quote, In giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. Other means may succeed. This could not fail. The way is plain. A way which, if followed, the world will forever applaud and God must forever bless, unquote. You know, at Independence Hall, Philadelphia, February 22nd, 1861, Lincoln said, quote, the Declaration of Independence gave liberty, not alone to the people of this country, but hope to all the world for all future time. It was that which gave promise that in due time the weights would be lifted from the shoulders of all men and that all should have an equal chance, unquote. Lincoln concluded, quote, This is the sentiment embodied in the Declaration of Independence. I would rather be assassinated on this spot than surrender it, unquote. Now, obviously, he wasn't assassinated at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. He was assassinated at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. But assassinated he was because a Confederate sympathizer wanted to undo what Lincoln had done and rally the troops for more days of bloodshed. And so... In the grand scheme of things, imagine there are people who are motivated by freedom. And there are people who are motivated by control. It was interesting in the debates between Ron DeSantis and California Governor Gavin Newsom. When... uh, Newsom suggested that California was a freedom state. 
And Ron DeSantis rightly said, you mean the freedom to defecate wherever you want? The freedom to build homeless encampments, the freedom to act out wickedly and perversely. Freedom never meant the freedom to harm. It never meant the freedom to act out sinfully. That's not what freedom means. You know, um, one of the things that I was talking with the person off the air, but we were talking about rest, and um, it made me think about how do we rest? How how do we enter into God's rest? And there's, of course, the interesting passages of Scripture like Psalm 37.7 um, and, uh, of course, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapters 3 and 4, um, the whole, those two chapters are sort of devoted to the great big idea of entering into God's rest. So what does that mean? What is the rest that the Hebrew writer is talking about to the diaspora, those those people, those Hebrew people, those Hebrew people who who had come into a, a, a knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, and many of them were tempted to abandon biblical the Lord Jesus and return to Judaism because of the pain and problems and suffering. And so Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever he might be, talks about it. So how do we enter it? And and how do we fail to enter it? So the writer to the Hebrews begins the discussion of God's rest in chapter 3, where he references the children of Israel wandering in the desert and giving them the land of Canaan. God promised them that he would go before them and defeat all their enemies in order that they could live securely in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says, for you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. I couldn't help but thinking of that passage of Scripture in reference to what's happening right at this very moment where the children of Israel want to live in their land and dwell securely. In that passage of Scripture, it says, and when he gives you <laughs> rest from all your enemies around so that you'll live in safety. All, all that was required of them was to trust the Lord, to trust his promises, but they refused to obey him. Not only did they refuse to obey him, but they complained and they murmured against him. They complained and murmured to the point that they were even willing to suggest that they were ready to go back into bondage under the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, and then again in Exodus chapter 17. And so imagine where where they go, you know what, being a slave is better than being free. 
But remember, remember what they would return to. They would still have a master, and they would still be controlled. So we're back to that great big idea. Do you want to live in a world where you're controlled or whether you're free? And I would even go so far as to say that everyone's going to be controlled, either by the, the Lord or by the devil. They're going to be controlled by what Jesus has to say, or they're going to be controlled by what they want to do. So the particular rest that's referenced in, in to the writer of Hebrews was that of the land of Canaan, and it was into that rest God solemnly said that the children of Israel who disobeyed him would never enter Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. So there was a group that would, in fact experience the rest and there was a group that would not experience the rest this is Gino Geraci I'll be back 303-873-1935 I'll be right back I love that phrase what are we waiting for what are we wasting for like someone's making time that doesn't exist you know, the Bible actually talks about that we should be very, very good stewards of what the Lord has uh, given to us. And I'm going to suggest to you that the Lord's given to each of us a very limited window of time. It was Billy Graham who said, God didn't call me to preach to the generation that came before me. He didn't call me to preach to the generation that would come after me. He called me to preach to this generation. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly right. God has placed you in the exact place and the exact time to do what only you can do. But I'm back to that subject of rest, and I can't help but thinking of um, Psalm 37.7, where it uh, basically says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord. So when the psalmist says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, he's not talking about a physical rest, actually. He's not even talking about taking a break from our routine or relaxing or napping or even going on vacation. In this sense, rest was almost like a lady in waiting in the ancient world where you were looking, you were looking, you were looking for the king or the the queen or the master to beckon you and to call you. So it's interesting Rest in the Lord refers to a spiritual rest. It means to cease from confusion and worry and stress and useless human effort and take a break from all the internal, external, temporal, mortal, and spiritual enemies. That's interesting. 303-873-1935. That's my number if you want to join me 
on the program. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Gino, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. How are you doing? I love your name. How are you doing, Gina? <laughs> I'm doing great. I wish you had come up to the Fort Collins to the Bible prophecy event. I would have I, I introduced so, myself to you. Yes, I so wanted to see that event, and you know, I had uh, those guys on the program, and and or yes. at least a couple of the guys. You did. I heard them. It was very good. So I have a question um, about Bible prophecy in the okay. Old Testament. There are Prophecies that are, I believe that phrase is near or far. Right. Some so, that, for example, so how did, how did biblical scholars determine that one was a near, like in Ezekiel, um, and then like far, like Ezekiel 38 war? Yeah, I I think that some people refer to this as double fulfillment. So so there's a couple of ways of thinking about what you're talking about. Um and and we could even expand the conversation a little bit because obviously prophecy uh falls into categories like fulfilled and unfulfilled. Um and so a, so the the idea is that some prophecies have what look like a short-term and a long-term fulfillment. So apparently when, you know, you're thinking about these different things, like in Isaiah where a child would be born um, uh-huh. and, and a son would be given, there seems to be a sense in which there's a fulfillment, but then there's a future fulfillment. Um, so they talk about near and far. So a prophecy has a dual fulfillment, uh, apparently, um, to to point to God's sovereign control. So the thing, you know, I'm thinking about Isaiah's virgin birth prophecy or Joel's prophecy, where it says, "And afterward, I will pour okay. out my spirit on all those people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions." Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So apparently there is a a sense of a fulfillment of that prophecy because Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and speaks those exact words to the people who are gathered in Jerusalem. So uh, obviously Joel is making the statement. Peter repeats the statement in Acts chapter 2. And then there's this manifestation of God's power through the Holy Spirit that happens on that day. But there seems to only be a partial fulfillment of Joel's prophecy because the prophecy goes on to speak about blood and fire and billows of smoke in chapter 2, verse 30, astronomical signs in verse 31, the gathering of the nations in judgment in in chapter 3, verses 1 and and 2. None of that happened. So what are we to think? Okay. So we think so we think well there seems to be a partial fulfillment and then there seems to be an ultimate fulfillment at the second coming of Christ. And so again okay. you, you, I, you think of Samuel's prophecy to David um and Jesus' second coming prophecy. Um so again I'm thinking Christmas thoughts because I was thinking 
you know, about the si- people holding up signs in New York, Hamas supporters saying, "Joy is canceled," <laughs> and I'm think I'm think I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, too late. Joy, joy has already come. You know, joy right. to the world. The, right. the Savior's come. Let earth receive her King. In Isaiah chapter seven, there were Aramites and Israelites, and they wanted to conquer Jerusalem. And King Ahaz was afraid. And so the prophet Isaiah approaches Ahaz and he says and says that Aram and Israel aren't going to be successful in the conquest in Isaiah chapter 7. And so the Lord offers Ahaz the opportunity to receive a sign in verse 10. But Ahaz refuses to put God to the test in verse 11. And so God responds by giving the sign that Ahaz should look for. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of two kings you dread will be laid waste. That's what it says at the end of the, in Isaiah 7:14. So Isaiah is making reference to a woman, a virgin, when the prophecy is made, who would become pregnant and bear a son. And a few years after that, Israel and Aram would be destroyed. That was the near fulfillment in the New Testament. And then the Apostle Matthew connects the virgin birth of Jesus in Matthew 123 with that same prophecy in Isaiah 714. So Jesus's virgin birth is the far and the fuller fulfillment. So to your point, how do we know? How in the world do we know? Uh, and you know what? I wish I had a good... I wish I had a good answer for you. I wish I could say, oh, and this is the answer. But I don't have a good answer. What's interesting uh, to me, as you're saying that, are pastors who refuse to um, talk about prophecy and avoid major chapters of the Bible. Uh, I'm thinking of replacement theology and things like that. That's a dead um, end. Yeah, that's a dead end. Yes. Yeah. But yet they will quote old scripture on the coming of Christ and his birth. <laughs> well, whether, see, whether they like it or not, they just quoted prophecy. <laughs> exactly. That's true. <laughs> Thank you, Gino. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.